This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place's ghost stories, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes stories and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The new innkeeper fell asleep quickly on the first night in his new home. He dreamed he stood in a pond, fed by a stream running down a verdant hillside. His long green robe fanned out like a lily pad on the water's surface. At first, the surroundings calmed him. Then, he heard the screams. Smoke darkened the sky. A red glow came from the hilltop. Firelight silhouetted hooded figures among the trees. Transfixed, the innkeeper trudged to the base of the stream. Something was off. The stream flowed uphill, not down. He stared at the hilltop, chilled by what might await. A sound woke the innkeeper from his dream. The previous owners warned the pub had its creaks and groans, but this was something else. Who's there? The innkeeper shouted. No answer. He cautiously rested his head back on his pillow. He was just falling asleep, when he felt a hand snake under the blankets and grab his ankle. It pulled him, shrieking from the bed. The innkeeper was about to meet his first guest. Welcome to Haunted Places on the Parcast Network. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday... I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the ancient Ram Inn, a thousand-year-old bed and breakfast rumored to host ghosts, witches, and even demons, and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to Parcast.com slash merch for more information. Listen to more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as podcasts, other podcasts, on your favorite podcast directory. Passing through the quiet hamlet of Wooden Underedge in Gloucester, England, one can't miss the ivory-covered facade of the ancient Ram Inn. Cracked, bloated, and sinking into the ground, the nearly thousand-year-old building 
looks more like a dreary hobbit hole than a functioning bed and breakfast. The handwritten signs and yellowed newspaper clippings plastered to the windows boast its notoriety as one of Britain's most haunted houses. The ancient ram stands at the intersection of two ley lines, alignments of landmarks, religious sites, and man-made structures. Paranormal investigators believe ley lines are ancient pathways between places of geographical and historical interest. These landmarks hold particular spiritual significance. One of the ancient ram's ley lines comes from the original site of the Church of St. Mary the Virgin, a nearby Anglican church that predates the inn by 200 years. The other comes from Stonehenge, which stands less than 100 kilometers away. Some believe lane line intersections are hubs of supernatural activity, and the ancient ram is no exception. The terrifying history of its grounds only reinforces this possibility. The druid stood beneath the altar in the forest clearing. It rose sharply from the ground, built upon the skulls of various beasts. The empty eyes of goats and wolves and humans peered at the priest with their blackened sockets. These bones were a history of the tribe's success. Each death signaled a victory in their quest for survival. A bountiful harvest, surviving a plague, a triumph in battle. And now, as the summer sun crossed lower in the sky and the fields were ripe and ready to be reaped, it was time to add more bones to the altar. Beneath his hood, the druid watched his disciples lead a woman and child before the altar. The boy stood firmly at the woman's side, clutching his mother's trembling hand. A brave boy. Isus would be pleased. Mist wrapped through the trees and hugged the priest and his disciples, leaving cold, damp droplets on his bare hands. He looked at the woman and tilted her chin up to meet his eyes. She shrank away from the cold touch. It will be easier if you relax, he told her. You must remember, it is for the tribe. The disciples lifted the mother and son onto the altar. The woman struggled against her captors. The boy did not. A disciple handed the druid the sharpened axe. Only a man in communion with the gods could wield such a responsibility. Tradition held that the boy be killed first, but the druid decided that the mother should be eased of such misery in her final moments. He said a prayer to Isus and asked that the god guide this axe as if it were his own. He swung at her neck first, then at the boy's. The child did not even cry out once. The disciples took their headless bodies and rolled them to the bottom of the bog. He let out a breath as he watched their blood snake down the layers of skulls until it fertilized the ground. He whispered the closing prayer and hung his head. The harvest would be plentiful. The druid woke with a start. 
He thought he had a horrible dream, but when he tried to search his mind for what it might have been, he found only blackness. In his restless state, he went out into the moonlight. He found himself gravitating toward the crops to look upon the benefits of their sacrifice. The fields glimmered and swayed in the soft breeze. Then he heard a distant sound. It came from the bog where the woman and child's bodies were disposed. In his dealings with death, the druid had found a corpse do many strange things. But this strange blaring noise sounded almost gleeful. He approached the bog and looked into its depths, down below where the water should have been. A strange mist hovered, obstructing the druid's view until something in the mist stirred. Two lone figures pushed slowly out of the top of the murky cloud. As they made their way up the hill, the druid recognized their headless forms, the mother and her son. As they ascended, so too did the mist come. It slithered behind the pair, as though forming a trail in their wake. They skipped toward the druid with a strange and joyful bounce. The druid froze in fear. He knew better than to cross the spiritual power of the gods. As the bodies approached him, the mist began to change. Tendrils of white stretched to the ground and out from its sides. To his horror, the druid realized that these were limbs a myriad of arms and legs swaying and extending with a wraith-like sinuous motion. The two bodies passed on either side of the druid, who stood frozen in place. Then the mist passed through him, and he saw the forms within. They were dressed in odd, colorful garb. The men had circular things of an unfamiliar material upon their heads that stuck tight. Their faces wore jovial expressions with broad smiles and glittering eyes. They played long and luxurious instruments that emitted shrill but not unpleasant sounds. They hopped from this foot to that in a strange kind of dance. The druid watched, mesmerized, as the headless bodies led the procession of mist out onto the fields, ready for harvest. He watched them sit at tables shrouded in a wavering light. They sang and danced and clinked their glasses together. They took long drinks and played their foreign instruments. The druid's eyes grew heavy as he watched them, and he felt himself lay down in the grass next to the field, worries melting into the soil. When the druid awoke, he was surrounded by the members of the tribe. Their brows were furrowed. They watched him with a focused and insincere fear. He saw his disciples in their customary brown robes. Their eyes were pinched together with uncertainty. One of them lifted his arm and pointed out to the fields. The druid turned to look, and his eyes went wide. Before him was the field which just hours before had been lush and full 
But now, the crops were wilted, blackened, and trampled. The druid turned back to face the crowd before him. He licked his lips. His throat was dry, and he felt desperate for a drink. He realized then that their troubled looks were not fear, but anger. He, as their spiritual leader, had failed them. The guests, he rasped. It was the guests. He was not sure where the word came from. He was not sure even what it meant. But now it consumed his mind, and he knew it was right. When his disciples called his kin, restrained him, and tied ropes around his wrists, he continued to mutter that foreign word. Guests. The guests have cursed us. They will return. When they put him on the altar and bound his hands and feet, he begged them to understand. The guests will be back, he croaked. They will doom us all. The disciple who gripped the axe, still bloodstained from the night before, smiled upon his restrained teacher. It will be easier if you relax, he told the druid. You must remember, it is for the tribe. In the late 1990s, a team of paranormal investigators unearthed skeletons of a woman and child beneath the foundation of the ancient Ram Inn, accompanied by what seemed to be knife shards. The Bristol Museum eventually identified their findings as evidence of Bronze Age human sacrifice. The ritual sacrifices occurred uphill, closer to the Church of St. Mary the Virgin. After they were murdered, the bodies then rolled into the marsh pond below, the future site of the ancient Ram Inn. To this day, the ancient grave remains open in the floor of the men's kitchen for guests and tourists to look upon. An iron cross has been planted in the dirt to honor the dead and perhaps to ward off any more 5,000-year-old spirits looking for a new haunt. Coming up, we'll visit more of the lingering spirits at the ancient Ram Inn. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. The ancient Ram Inn was built in 1145. Originally, it was connected to the Anglican Church and served as a home for the local rector. Ownership of the ancient Ram changed hands many times over the centuries, and the inn stood witness to countless historical events and transformations. It was one of a handful of structures that survived a devastating 12th century fire in Gloucester, England. In the 13th century, it housed the craftsmen and slave laborers involved in the reconstruction of the Church of St. Mary the Virgin. In the 15th century, 
the grounds became a bloody battlefield for two feuding noble families. But in the 16th century, the history of the inn found itself once again at a crossroads of paranormal activity. Legend holds that the ancient Ram Inn became an important hideout for a runaway witch. Tabitha listened to the boy's chest as his faint heartbeats grew further and further apart. Stay alive, she prayed. Please, oh, please just live. His breath shortened. He wheezed with a raspy desperation. She stroked the matted, wet hair that clung to his pale forehead. Blood pooled underneath his eyes, which were so flooded with tears that the red liquid diluted and turned clear as it dripped along the smooth folds of his cheek. She sung him a melody, or she sung herself a melody, to drown away the horrible noise of his dying breath. And then the breath was gone, and it was just Tabitha and the boy she failed to heal. She hung her head in sorrow and started to berate herself for her failures until she heard the boy's mother out in the kitchen making tea. The misery pitted deep in her gut was quickly replaced with fear. The mother would tell them, the ones that whispered about Tabitha, the ones that said the way she healed was unnatural, the ones that claimed she conjured the help of the devil. She gathered up her bag of ointments and solutions and took one last sorrowful look at the boy before covering his face with a blanket. She was 200 meters from the hut when she heard the wail of the mother. Tabitha allowed the shame to wash over her, but only for a moment before she ducked her head and continued on her way. By the time she had made it to the inn, she could already hear the shouts of an angry mob. Witch, they shouted. Find the witch. She ducked into the lobby, where the innkeeper looked at her with his dead eyes. Tabitha shuffled by his desk and returned his gaze. She brought a trembling finger to her lips. He smiled at her, his yellow, crooked teeth protruding from his mouth. Then he brought a bony, contorted finger to his lips, returning her gesture. She eyed his bulbous knuckles as he nodded a brief expression of understanding. Then Tabitha hurried to her room. Her cat was there, the cat she never named. It sensed her discomfort and crawled in her lap when Tabitha sat down to peek through the curtain of the window. She watched as the sunset cast an uncomfortable hue of flaxen light across the town. She could see traces of the mob, lighting torches, hurrying this way and that, they crossed in and out of each other's paths, conferring briefly, before moving along to search in the various nooks and crannies throughout the town. Tabitha had traveled mostly at night, so few, if anybody, knew which inn she was staying at. But it was because she traveled at night that the rumors had begun in the first place. 
she saw the group of men that pointed at the inn. Their features were hidden in the shadow of the torchlight, but she could see that they nodded in unison. Together they trundled toward the building. She heard them talk to the innkeeper. She heard him say, there's no one here. She heard him say, nobody stays at this inn anymore. She heard him say, sure, I will take you to the rooms, but first I must find my keys. He was buying her time. She quickly and quietly made the bed, swept away all remnants of her stay, and folded her spare set of clothes, bringing them with her as she crawled underneath the bed. She called to her cat, clicking with her tongue. He rushed to her, but stopped immediately when he got to the edge of her hiding spot. He would not come underneath. Tabitha reached out to grab him, but he only hissed and scratched her arms. She had to hold her breath to stop herself from crying out in pain. The cat had never attacked her before. But she didn't have time to reflect. She heard the footsteps stop right outside her room. She heard the sound of someone fumbling with a set of keys. She heard the door creaking open. The pale flickering of torchlight cast the uncertain shadow of a cloaked figure on the wall across from her. The shadow stretched along the wall as the man stepped into the room. The cat hissed at the intruders. She heard the innkeeper quickly explain that he owned the cat. It helped to keep the rats away. Then she felt it. A hot, heavy breath on the back of her neck. It took every ounce of effort for her not to cry out. The feeling of it sent shivers down her spine. Its stench filled the air around her, rotten and sulfurous. The thing behind her reached out and caressed the creases of Tabitha's neck with cold, wet fingers. It traced the line of her throat with a sharp fingernail, as though looking for where it might slit it open. She dared not look down, out of fear that she would not be able to stay quiet if she saw what it was that touched her. She shivered violently, and tears began to pour from her eyes. The fingers crawled to her cheeks, leaving a slimy trail in their wake. The witch is not here! The shadow on the wall called out. The footsteps left the room, and the shadow shrank away. The door soon clicked shut behind them. Tabitha waited as long as she could before letting out a breath. Then she scrambled out from under the bed, scurrying on all fours to the door. She listened, and when she was sure the men had left the building, she went to leave the room. But the door was locked. She jiggled the knob and pushed and pulled, but it wouldn't budge. She knocked tentatively, and then a little louder, hoping that the innkeeper would hear, but there was only silence on the other end. Then she heard the strange and viscous sound from under the bed. Her hand went instinctively to her slick cheek. When she took it away, her fingers were covered in a strange, 
clear slime. Tabitha looked at the bed. The same substance oozed from where moments before she lay hidden. It spread across the floor, bubbling and bursting as it navigated the cracked wood. Her cat leapt to the dresser. He hissed violently at whatever it was, arching his back, fur standing erect, claws firmly planted. She backed away to the far wall, next to the window that faced the road. But the liquid kept seeping, spreading across every inch of the floor. Soon the substance was at her feet. She felt something then. A horrible longing shot through her body. The thing below her was desperate. It was hungry. It kept rising, filling up the room. When it reached her ankles, Tabitha felt an awful pain, as though the thing were skinning away her flesh, piece by piece. She tried not to cry out. She tried to stuff it away as her entire body trembled furiously and sweat poured from her forehead. But the liquid kept rising, and the pain kept growing. She finally broke down and turned to pound on the window. Help! She cried out to the street. Please help me! Witch! A voice cried in return. I found the witch! The witch's room is a comfortable suite, adorned with velvet curtains, a hodgepodge of antique store tapestries, and far too many stuffed animals. People claim you can see a woman peering out its window. Some say she looks with sinister ambition. Some say her face is more pleading and desperate. The culprit is believed to be the spirit of a 16th century witch burned at the stake after fleeing her trial and hiding out at the inn. But some say the witch never left the inn. Instead, she's trapped there, waiting forever for those that condemned her to die. Guests of the ancient Ram Inn claim she has appeared as a glowing orb in their photographs. Someone even claimed they photographed her face staring out at the window. But the witch is not the only one who remains in her room. Her pet cat, said to be her familiar, has also been seen. Some guests have reported being scratched and clawed in the middle of the night. It's not also uncommon to hear yowling at the witch's room, or even pawing at the door. On more than one occasion, Unfortunate guests have found their beds stained with cat urine. Coming up, we'll learn how the ancient Ram Inn earned its modern-day nefarious reputation. Now, back to the story. By the late 1960s, nearly a thousand years had taken their toll on the ancient Ram Inn. It had changed hands several times in the past few decades, falling into further disrepair. Death Watch beetles made regular feasts of its rotting wooden beams. Its stone walls were crumbling. 
The Wooden Town Council sought to demolish the building as part of a plan to widen the road. The relic of so many bygone eras would soon be gone for good. Until, in 1968, a former train driver looking for a new home for his young family set his eyes on the doomed building. Unfortunately, on his first night at the ancient ram, something terrible befell the inn's new owner. In the days that followed, the incomplete memory of the incident trailed the innkeeper like a shadow during sunset. Stretched and large, but also stunted and unnatural, almost incomplete in its grandiosity. There were pieces, a thing, a thing atop him, his shrieks, a sweat-soaked pillow, his restrained arms, the terrible cold of the thing's skin against his nude body. When he passed the room where it happened, his body began to convulse, and he was struck with an immense fear of something completely undefined. Three days. Three days until his wife and children would join him. Three days to admit that buying this place had been an awful mistake. On the first day, he went to change the sheets of the bed where it happened. When he looked upon the rumpled blankets and the ugly stain at the center, he bent over and retched atop them. Then he wrapped his sick up in the linens and took them away to wash. On the second day, the innkeeper tried to occupy himself, but he found that he kept coming back to the room, pacing in front of it, glancing briefly at the hollow space inside. It called to him in seductive whispers. He swept the floors, dusted the shelves, cleaned the bar, organized the keys. Then he was in front of the room again. He was not sure how he got there. The last thing he remembered was leaning over to rest his head on the front desk. But here he was, gripping a Bible he never remembered picking up. The innkeeper did not want to tempt fate. In fact, he was afraid of it. So he went inside. He laid down on the stripped bed, clutching the Bible to his chest. He looked at the ceiling and shut his eyes. The thing with cold skin was there with him. But it wasn't the same as last time. Instead, it caressed his head with icy fingers and whispered to him about his family. He gripped the Bible tighter. It told him that if they did not come, they would not understand. And if they did not understand, then the innkeeper would be alone for the rest of his life. He shivered against the frigid touch. His body convulsed, and he wept. He wept mostly because he knew the thing with cold skin was right. His family had to come. On the third day, he made the bed again. He placed the lamp on the stand and a carpet on the floor. It now looked like all the other rooms, like a room suited for a guest. The thing with cold skin wasn't there. 
The innkeeper shut the door and locked it, then waited for his family to arrive. When they came, his daughters leapt into his arms and he swung them around. Then they were off running, up the narrow stairwell, down the narrow hallways, swept up in the adventure of a new home. He kissed his wife on both cheeks, but when he met her eyes, tears filled his own. She took it as a sign of happiness and hugged him tight. She never asked about the Bible he held in his right hand. The days passed, the innkeeper cleaned, his daughters explored, his wife checked the foundation and made repairs. Then she came to him. The girls say, this house is strange. They say, the furniture moves. They say the walls shriek. (laughs) It's their imagination, the innkeeper stammered, perhaps too quickly. But now... His wife's eyes looked at the Bible, and they stayed there, fixated as she backed away. They opened the inn. The business came. The customers complimented the style of the slatted stone walls, the grand wooden beams, the taxidermied ram. Tasteful, they said. Humble, but rich in character. Then... The wife came to the innkeeper. She told him that an American guest had leapt out a window and ran screaming down the street. So the innkeeper fixed the window and put a Bible in that room. Then the wife came again. A young woman awoke with terrible scratches on her arms. She demanded her money back. So the innkeeper gave her a refund and put first aid kits in every room. Then, the wife came one last time, her face pale, her hands shaking as they carried her packed suitcase. She stammered out the story. A dresser! Their youngest daughter, she was oblivious, playing at the bottom of the stairs when, when a dresser, an entire dresser had risen and hurtled down the stairwell. It missed crushing her by a foot. This place was dangerous, the wife spat. This place was evil. He would not go with them. Even if his wife asked him, he would not go. This place owned a part of him now. And as the two of them regarded each other for the last time, he knew that she understood this. She cocked her head with a mild expression of sympathy. Then she turned and shepherded the two daughters out the door, leaving the innkeeper alone with his Bible and the thing with cold skin. According to legend, a succubus is a demon that takes the form of a woman to harvest men's seed. Similarly, the incubus takes the form of a man to impregnate women. Many claim that the ancient Ram Inn houses both. When John Humphreys purchased the inn in 1968, he had no idea that such creatures waited for him there. But he learned quickly. Humphreys never went anywhere alone without an old dog-eared copy of the Bible, believing it was his only defense against unfriendly spirits. 
But the odd sounds and movement, the apparitions and shadows, eventually became a comfort to him. Having ghosts around was better than solitude. By the 1990s, the ancient ram's reputation came to the attention of paranormal investigators and enthusiasts throughout the UK. John Yates, a retired bishop, even attempted an exorcism of the place. He failed. Overwhelmed by the inn's dark energy, Yates remarked that it was the most evil place I have ever had the misfortune to visit. John Humphreys couldn't have asked for a better endorsement. He began opening his doors to more ghost hunters, looking for bona fide proof of the supernatural. After decades in the red, the ancient Ram Inn finally started turning a profit. When she grew up, John's daughter Caroline Humphreys helped him run the ancient Ram for over a decade and looked after him during his twilight years. She was recently written up in British newspapers for raising hell when hired caseworkers claimed to be too frightened to visit John at the inn. After his death in late 2017, Caroline inherited ownership of the ancient Ram Inn. Unlike her father, however, she has no intention to live there. Though the inn no longer has living habitants, it rarely has vacancies. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next week. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Kenny Hobbs. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Muller. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by DFW Buckingham. I'm Greg Polson.